0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning.
1: I'm going to jump right into things because we're in the middle of a series called Involved, and our our tagline is refusing to be passive in an aggressive world. And today I want to talk about drama. Drama. What do you think of when I use the word drama? Or or rather, rather, who do you think of when I use the word drama? Because uh, the fact is, this is something that all of us can relate to in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, or you're just watching online, you're not even sure what's going on. I think all of us can relate to drama, because we've all experienced a little drama-trauma, We've all produced a little bit of drama, and we've all passively participated in drama. And you're gonna see it in a few minutes. It's very expensive. Drama costs you. And how to navigate it is critically important, and we're gonna be looking in Mark chapter 10 at how Jesus dealt with drama. So, but before we get there, let's define what drama actually means. You know, when you look it up in the dictionary, like the official dictionaries, the Oxford Dictionary and those, it kind of goes to the theatrical terms of what drama means or it'll talk about a type of movie you might want to watch, a drama piece. Uh, But it doesn't get down to what you and I already know drama means in our culture. So I went to the fountain of all knowledge of cultural relevancy, Urban Dictionary. Do you guys know Urban Dictionary? It's online, it's great. It's, it's definitions given by people just like you and I. We talk about what a cultural word like drama is, and they, people put in a definition, and then it gets voted on by other people on Urban Dictionary until the top definition comes to the top. The, the number one definition comes to the top. So I'm telling you all that to let you know I did not write this, and you'll see why in a minute. Here's the definition for drama in the Urban Dictionary. Something women, and especially teenage girls, thrive on. (laughs) Now, I'm going to pause there. I'm going to pause there because I I need to add this caveat. Uh, I'm a man. Surprise. And I I deal with men all the time. Drama is (laughs) gender-inclusive. Although, sometimes when we talk about teenage... Okay, let's just keep going on in the definition. He says this, so something they thrive on, consisting of, and this is key to drama, any number of situations that have an easy solution, which would bring about a good outcome. But these girls choose another bad way to deal with it. Again, consisting of backstabbing, blackmailing, gossiping, betraying their friends. And then it gives an example. Here's drama. I want to break up with him, but I love him. And I like what it adds at the end of this. This drives men and what I, like, what I like to call normal girls nuts. Drama. Do you know that thing you get dragged into? You kind of get sucked into. And then when you're in the middle of it, you're going like, how did I get myself into this? Drama. You ever been there? Or, or it's like when you're, when you're at Christmas and you go home for Christmas and you, you're there and you say to your sibling, tell me again, why did I come home for Christmas? Drama drama, drama, or or the drama that's produced after you text her or you text him, and you're like, why did I text them again? The same drama. Drama is something that every one of us deals with, and there's two types of drama in this world. There's unavoidable drama. Unavoidable drama is You notice I said, I want to invite you, whether you're online or in this room, I'm inviting you to get involved in a year-long drama reducing or reduction campaign. What would it look like to lower the drama in your life, To lower the drama in your sphere of influence and maybe collectively lower the drama in this city and world a little bit. What would that look like? See, I'm calling it that lowering the drama, that's the title of the message, or reducing drama in this world because I can't say get rid of drama because some of you are married to it (laughs) or you're related to it, it's your parents. I'm just watching some of the teenagers look at their parents right now. It, it, it's a sibling. It's someone you're connected to. It's your boss at work. And you can't, you can't remove it because you're attached to it. So there is, that's unavoidable drama. Everyone in this room has unavoidable drama. Everyone online, you have unavoidable drama. There are people that you're connected to. It's not just as easy to say, I'm not gonna be connected to them. So how do you navigate that? I'm gonna give you some tools. To help you navigate from the person and life of Jesus, unavoidable drama. Because all of us have it. And then there's what I call avoidable drama. Avoidable drama is boyfriend drama, girlfriend drama, workplace drama, friendship drama, acquaintances drama, money drama, schedule drama, acquaintances, casual people that you're in relationship with, but every time you're with them, drama, 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 drama. You know what, I'm going to help you possibly, if you're willing to do it, eliminate this one. How do you eliminate avoidable drama? How do you navigate unavoidable drama? Because here's what we need to know about drama, I mentioned it earlier, drama is expensive. Drama is not neutral. So turn to someone next to you, and you might want to say something like this, I'm tired of paying the bill for drama. Like, drama is expensive. Now, if you're married, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep looking ahead. Nobody pull out their phone and text your wife or spouse or someone and say, you should be here this morning. Jump online. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. This is for you. This is for me today. I'm going to get really personal about the drama I produce in life today. But Because but, we all do that. But here's the thing. Drama costs you probably more than you realize. Drama costs you sleep. Drama costs you emotional energy, significant amounts of it. Drama costs you stress. Here's what some people don't realize. Drama costs you friendships. Some people are lonely and they meet people, but those people don't want a close friendship because you produce too much drama. It's emotionally expensive to be in a relationship with you. Drama costs us success in life. Drama costs people forward progress in life. Let me illustrate. There's a book that came out called Game Change. Uh, Game Change is the book that chronicles the 2008 presidential election campaign in the United States. The two candidates facing off against each other, it was Barack Obama and Joe Biden, and John McCain and Sarah Palin. Sounds like a long time ago, you remember that? But what's fascinating about this book, and very interesting, even if you don't like politics, it's fascinating, is they chronicle, really, the rivalry between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama as they vied for the nomination of the presidency in 2008. Now, what is fascinating about this is it chronicles what happened behind closed doors. They had a first-hand account of how their campaigns were run. And Hillary Clinton's campaign, as you read the chapters, was filled with drama. Chaos behind closed doors. Because the Clintons had dozens and dozens and dozens of supporters that had helped Bill become president. And they were all vying and they were rivals against each other, all trying to sit at the right hand of Hillary when she enters into her kingdom. So they they fought. It was nonstop chaos and drama in the background in the Hillary Clinton campaign in her bid to become the nominee for the Democratic Party in 2008. Barack Obama strikingly different. Barack Obama gathered all of his staff, all of the people that would be participating in his campaign, and he had one rule, only one rule for the entire campaign. His rule was this, no drama. And he was ruthless when it came to drama. In fact, I love this quote from the book. He says this, bring me solutions, don't bring me anxiety. Bring me action steps, don't bring me problems. Very interesting. Bring me solutions, don't bring me drama. Br- br- uh, bring, me sol- uh, bring me action steps, don't bring me pr- problems. He was ruthless in the way he approached it. It was the one rule he asked of his team. In fact, I love, he says this, your personal insecurities are not interesting to me. What you bring to me is our next step. Now, why, why, why did he win? Well, there's a myriad of reasons. Many reasons. but. Well, What a brilliant leadership move. Because all drama would do would distract, all drama would do would produce what I like to call sideways energy, off-mission energy. Instead, by creating a culture which was more drama-free, everyone was laser-focused on the mission. Everyone was focused on moving things forward. So friends, what I want you to understand is, drama is not neutral. The drama you experience with your family, at work, at school, in your friendships, in your relationships, all of that drama, none of it's neutral and all of it costs you. Some of us are so used to it, we don't even understand how innovative or creative or how we could move forward in life because we're too busy doing drama in life, too busy doing drama. Now. This is with the part where I need to invite you in to a confessional moment. Because when you're talking about this, you can think I'm talking to you. Because everyone does this. So let's have a little place of admission, and let's admit that we've all produced drama. Just go ahead. Just Yes, I've produced drama. Because you're going to be tempted to think it's going to be people more on the emotional end of the equation. No, no, no. Drama is no respecters of temperament. Certainly, emotional people can produce a lot of drama. But people who seem to be a-emotional are often very emotional underneath the surface. They just control it better. They control the narrative. But they'll be dramatic and produce drama with the facts. They'll bend them, omit them, use them in order to control. Drama loves to control. You you probably already know that. Drama loves to control. But let me just say from the very beginning, every one of us have been drama people. Every one of us has produced some drama, and I'm inviting every one of us to enter into a drama reduction campaign. Here's the three ingredients of every good drama. You need a victim, that's me. You need a villain, that's you. And you need a conspiracy theory. That's all you need. And it's a little bit of thing, it's a play and an act that happens in our minds all the time, in our workplaces, in our families, and everything. We're the victim, they're the villain, and there's a conspiracy theory. So I asked Shelley, I said, Shelley, how do I produce drama? And she came too quickly back. I was hoping she'd, she'd just think about it for a little bit, like, uh, like well, let me think about that, Jonathan. No, 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 she was right there with an answer immediately. And it's, uh, it's when I'm behind the wheel driving. I knew exactly what she meant when she said that. Because I am, in the city of Toronto, when I'm driving, I am the victim. Of what? You villains. (laughs) Doing what? Impeding my progress in life. You see, when I drive, if I know I'm turning right on Finch Avenue and I'm driving up Kennedy, I've moved over to the right lane well in advance. Well in advance. Not some of you, no. It's like you come up on Finch and it's like all of a sudden, I think I need to turn right. You come across three lanes of traffic and now your problem is my problem. I don't like that. You don't, I, No word of a lie. Two weeks ago, I'm leaving church. I didn't look to see if it was one of you. And I'm at Kennedy and Finch. And I, I'm in the right lane. Why? Because eventually I am moving right. But you are in the turn left lane. Two lanes between us. And the last minute, you thought, no, I don't want to go left. I want to go right. So you kind of, while the light was still red, you edged in front of one lane of traffic. And then you edged in front of the other lane of traffic. Because you couldn't have been inconvenienced to turn left and turn around. Am I getting too personal here? Because it just bugs me. You know another thing that bugs me? Just as long as I'm on it, backing into parking spaces. If you can't do it, don't do it. (laughs) Just don't do it. Some people are spatially challenged. They should have a license. I agree, but it should have stamped on there, not allowed to back in. Because we're tired of waiting for you. Because there are moments where I want to get out of the car and say, listen, let me do this for you. Let me do this for you. So this is what Shelly said to me two weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week, but I had to write it down because I thought it was, she nailed it. She said this, Jonathan, you have all the compassion in the world when it comes to people. But once that person is encased in a car, (laughs) drama, drama. See, friends, think of your workplace drama. Think about your family drama. Think think about the drama you have relationally. There's always going to be a victim and you're going to be the victim. And you have lines for the villains you know that they're saying. And you've assigned those lines, and there's a conspiracy. This is why she doesn't like me at work. She's never said that, but, but you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, right? This is why my brother never calls. This is why my parents always call. There's a drama, there's a villain, there's a victim, and then there's a conspiracy theory, and it plays out over and over. And you know the only problem with that whole narrative is something, a little thing called facts. What do the facts have to do with it? Everything. But when we get feelings engaged, which we are emotive people, that's normal, we tend to spin facts in ways that aren't actually factual, right? So how do you deal with drama? Well, we're gonna look at the person of Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't immune to drama, and I want to show you Mark chapter 10, a workplace drama Thing that happened with Jesus, starting in verse 35 to 45. So here's what's going on. Jesus has this group of leaders that are with him called his disciples, and two of them, two of, the, two of the ones, James and John, two brothers, come to him, and they say, listen, Jesus, listen, we got a good thing going here. I see that our corporation is going up and to the right. Good things are happening. You're the Messiah. Good things are gonna happen. When you come into your kingdom, when you make it big, can we have the corner offices? That's what they're saying. They said, we want to be first. And here, picking up in verse 41, here's what happens. Here's the drama that produced. Here's what happened. It says, when the other 10 heard of this conversation, pause, how did they hear? (laughs) Drama. I'll show you in a minute. When the other 10 heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word can be translated, they were indignant, they were displeased, they were angry with James and John. So these other 10 are like, whoa, 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 we're the victim, John and James are the villains, and they already know the conspiracy. And this is what happens. Jesus got them together, and I love this, to what? To settle things down. And what he does is nothing short of brilliant, which we'll unpack in just a minute. I want you to understand, though, Jesus can relate to the drama you're going through. Jesus had drama all around him. Successful people usually have it all around them. But you'll find something with Jesus. Jesus doesn't engage it like many people do. Jesus had family drama. I, if you've never read the Gospels or about the person of Jesus, I really... I, would, I really would implore you to try it because the Gospels are, it tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly. He shows in one account that his family shows up. Jesus is teaching in a house. And his family shows up and they create a drama. They create a great commotion outside. And it even tells their, their motive. Their motive was to control Jesus. Did family ever create drama to control family? Just everyone online, not in this room, Right? Sorry, online people, but, you know, so the family was using drama to control, trying to control their son, trying to control their brother. Uh, It wasn't just family drama. There's workplace drama, as I just mentioned. Lots of that to be had. People gossiped about Jesus often. They ascribed and projective motives onto Jesus, which people do who love drama. They always know the motives of other people. They always ascribe a motive, and it's always a victim-villain narrative. It's not just that. People villainized Jesus. They falsely accused him. People whispered about his interactions with women. Because he defied the cultural norms of that day. He talked to women. You weren't supposed to. He talked to Samaritan women. There was such racism and sexism in that day and age. And Jesus would not placate to the cultural norms of that day. He transcended them. And, you know, even when he talked to the Samaritan woman, it's pretty interesting. When his own disciples came back and saw he's talking to a Samaritan and a woman, it says they're shocked. They were shocked. I mean, Jesus knows what drama looks like. One of my favorite things is if, when you go through the Gospels and you begin to see all the times people try to control Jesus' schedule with drama, right? Right? Jesus, I know you're over here doing this, but we've got a crisis over here. Hurry, come, quick. They're always trying to hurry Jesus. They're always trying to elevate their drama over the drama he's dealing with right here or the situation. Why? They're controlling, they're trying to control Jesus. Do you ever have someone do that? You know, workplace, poor planning on their part becomes an emergency on your part. Drama, 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 drama. Uh, It's not just that. If you read the Gospels, you realize people wanted Jesus to affiliate with them politically. Political leaders wanted his uh, affirmation, wanted his endorsement. But more than that, there were three religious parties in the day. There were the Pharisees, which were the extreme conservative right wing. There were the zealots, which were the extreme left wing, and they were the ones who were trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. And then the middle to leaning left were the Sadducees, who capitulated with the Roman Empire, and they were the ones that were doing business with them. And so they couldn't stand each other. And here's the part, none of them could stand Jesus. I, I, great author, Scott Sauls he says this, and I think it's really apropos in our present culture. He said this, uh, and I've not forgotten. He said, you know, my friends, my liberal friends find me too conservative. My conservative friends find me too liberal. Jesus cuts across the the political ideologies. Because he doesn't placate to one path. He's going to be lavishly liberal with his love. There is a conservative piece in Jesus in terms of some morality pieces, but it's complicated. It's not as easy as just lining yourself with some political ideology. Now, I probably stepped on many shoes there, so we're just going to move right on. Here's the important thing to note about Jesus. When it comes to dealing with drama in his world, and this is key for you to deal with drama at work, at home, in relationships, Jesus was and remained a non-reactive presence. So, can you say that with me? Non-reactive presence. Okay, now the rest of you say it with me. Non-reactive presence. Here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that Jesus wasn't emotional. Because you could read that and you say, oh, Jesus was robotic. He didn't feel things. No, he felt things. He was a very emotional man in a healthy, normal way. He could express disappointment. He could express compassion. He could cry when it was appropriate. He, he loved, he laughed, he did friendship. He was a healthy man, able to emote in healthy ways. But what I mean by non-reactive is he didn't take people's bait. Drama baits you into a reaction. That's why people use drama to control you. That's why we could use drama to control others. Jesus was uncontrollable because he didn't take the bait. He was a non-reactive presence. I love non-reactive people. They're very attractive to all of us in this room. We wanna follow people that are like that because drama is starved around non-reactive people. Drama gets starved in those quadrants. So Mark chapter 10, everybody's upset. James and John have asked for the corner office. Other people heard, they heard about their conversation. How did they hear, friends? Somebody was talking. Somebody overheard it. Jesus wasn't going around telling the rest of the disciples. Someone overheard it. You can imagine, cozied up to the rest of the disciples. Guess what I heard? James and John, yeah, yeah. We're the victims. We we should be angry. They're the villains. And it gets all stirred up. I wonder who it was. I I, I love those disciples because their personalities are kind of laid out in the Scripture. And I, I think right away, my money would have been on Peter. It really would have, really would have. Because Peter... Uh, talked first, thought second. It was just his personality. He seemed to be out first on the water, but he'd also be out first with some declaration. Uh, Like, he just seemed to be first in there. So I'm thinking Peter. It might have been Judas. Clearly, there was a character issue with him. Eventually came to fruition. I don't know who it was. It doesn't really matter, but it shows you how drama works. The drama inside your head is never in content until it gets played out in life. The drama we build up here, well, it never just stays up here. It always works its way out of us. It always spreads. And there's three tools, and here's where I'm going to go, three tools that drama people use and three tools that Jesus uses to manage drama. I think one of the tools Jesus used can eliminate the avoidable drama. The other two tools will help you deal with the unavoidable drama. But first, we need to talk about the tools that we use to produce drama. Because without knowing them, we can inadvertently participate in drama. And how are we going to engage in a drama-reducing campaign if we're still generating drama, right? So are you excited to hear about these three tools? (laughs) Right now, maybe. Okay, here's the first tool. The first tool is not surprising at all. It's gossip. So I don't know if it's Peter, Judas... Matthew, we don't know who it was. Someone began to talk. Someone heard James and John, overheard them talking to Jesus, and they were like, I'm going to share this news. I'm going to spread this news. I'm going to stir the pot. I'm going to start sharing with others. Gossip is one of the primary tools for producing drama in your life. So again, the person of Jesus is very interesting. Nowhere in the Bible will you see it recorded that he pulled aside one disciple to talk about another disciple. Very interesting. He never He's clearly closest to John. Then he had Peter, James, and John was his inner circle. Then the 12, then the 72. He had concentric circles of closeness. He had probably a best friend in John, though, uh, the beloved disciple. But he didn't pull, fr- pull John aside and say, you know what, Peter? The guy just doesn't get it, man. I keep trying. It's just like, is he thick? Too much fishing. You know, he never does that stuff. He doesn't participate in it and he doesn't entertain it. Very interesting. Now, here's why this is important. Because you can initiate uh, gossip, and you can passively participate in it. And here's my warning. My warning is simply this. Most people will never know you gossiped. But every time you're involved in it, drama is right at your doorstep. Drama is right there. You get associated with stuff, you didn't mean to fully associate it with. You get dragged into things you never intended to get dragged into. And here's what happens, and remember this, drama is expensive. It will cost you. It'll cost you, friends. And gossip is one of the primary tools. Here's what's difficult about gossip. Because we can say everyone does it. And we've all done it. Here's the thing with gossip, though. You know, it's difficult to identify because often it's couched with concern. We used to say growing up in church circles, it would be couched with a prayer request. You know, please pray for Jonathan. I saw him driving the other day. He clearly was not happy behind the wheel. You know, or please pray for Mary because, you know, she moved in with that guy. I don't want to say anything, but we should be praying for her. And it's a way to gossip, right? But listen, it happens at work. It happens everywhere. Usually, out of concern for someone, we express some negativity about somebody else that actually kind of makes us look good in that moment because we're both caring and we're clearly not doing what they're doing, right? So we are better than them. Do the math, right? Well, here's the thing with with gossip and and participating in it. And when it it becomes something that's prevalent in your life, uh, defining it is really important. This is the best definition of gossip I've ever seen. Gossip is when a negative is discussed with anyone who can't solve the problem. How much conversation would go down when a negative is discussed with anyone who can't solve the problem? They're not involved, they're not a part of it, and they can't clearly help with it. If you're in a family, be very careful. This drama tool of gossip quickly Becomes a family tool. And it becomes a family way of how they manipulate each other. They gossip about each other. You know, I've seen this in families all the time, and it's sometimes difficult. It's things like gossip, it's things like control. I, I are, are being critical. I've watched families. I pastored a family, not in this church, so don't worry. Pastored a family. Long time Christian family. Always critical of the church. Always critical of leadership. Very vocal about it. Their children became young adults. Guess what they were like? A pleasure to pastor. Always critical of the church. Always critical of leadership. And one, You know what was the telling time is when the father of this family came and talked to me one day, because their child didn't enjoy church and wasn't connecting and, and didn't like the church. And I wanted to hold up a mirror and say, I can tell you exactly why. Be careful the tools you use in your family because your family will inevitably use them. And you might be able to control them for a while using these tools, but you are teaching them a pattern that will follow them the rest of their lives. Be very careful about that. Drama, gossip is one of those tools we inadvertently use all the time and we don't understand how expensive it can be. Here's the next one because I don't think any of us have this problem. So the next one is... You should have laughed. Okay. I was joking. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'll move on. Overreacting. Drama people use this as a tool. They exaggerate things. They exaggerate the facts. They exaggerate the consequences of a possible decision. They deal in the economy of anxiety and fear to control and to manipulate. Sometimes they don't even realize they're doing it. But this is the overreacting because what they want you to do is take the bait. So they overreact to things that are going on. They exaggerate. They exaggerate what might happen. I call them the prophets of the worst case scenario. Do you ever meet people with the gift of the worst case scenario? I mean, it might sound like a good idea to most of the group, but they'll find the one reason why this could fail and fail miserably. And the consequences will begin to pile on. And you'll watch the anxiety of the group go up. And you'll watch the anxiety of your spouse go up. Because why? You're the prophet of doom. The prophet of the worst case scenario. And we overreact to things. And again, it's the opposite of being a non-reactive presence. We react. And we want a reaction. And it just begins to spin in a circle. Drama keeps producing drama, keeps producing drama. Okay, I don't want to spend long on this, but the last one is this. I call it VORs. You know what a VOR is? It's a vague, ominous, ominous rumbling. So here's what VORs stand. Now, if you're a young person in this church right now, or you're listening online, and you sometime, you you know, at some point in your life, you want to be a leader. You want to be a leader in a political arena, or a business, or uh, in a spiritual arena like this, or anything. Listen, get used to VORs. They're going to be a part of your life all the time. They're normal. Normal. Vague, ominous rumblings. This is what they sound like. Everyone's upset. It's vague. We don't know who. It's ominous. It's got a tone like everything's about to fall apart, and it's a rumbling. A vague, ominous rumbling. This is used all the time, all the time. It's like, we're getting some emails. Or, or, we have to be careful and insert some exaggerated consequence. Or, did you know that, and insert some unsubstantiated gossip. VORs are the tool that drama-producing people love to do to, to control groups. Family groups... Teams at work, groups. Leaders use it. People use it all the time. Vague, anonymous rumblings. You know what's interesting is Jesus didn't deal in these. I'm going to show you how he dealt with them. But he didn't deal in these things. Because vague, anonymous rumblings are just really card. They used to shake me when I was younger as a leader. And I'll tell you why. And I, we'll get to this at the end of this message. Most of us that produce drama do so because we've had some trauma drama. We have past trauma, and that trauma triggers us. And we produce a lot of drama in other people's lives because of it. These things used to throw me a lot because I'd been wounded when I was younger. I'll talk about that. And all of a sudden, I had an opening that allowed me to become reactionary. But who wants to follow a leader that reacts to everybody's complaints? Because for what you might be complaining about, someone's complaining we're not doing enough of. You can't do that. You've got to be principled. Do you want to be principled? Do you want to be wise in how you handle that? That's for you younger people who are going into leadership. Be careful. Recognize this is normal. It's as normal as being human. So there are three tools that drama people use. Gossip, overreacting, and VORs. So how did Jesus deal with drama? Let's get on the positive side. Let's get on the plus side. How did he deal with it? Well, it's masterful. He's a non-reactive presence And he's stewarding his energy, and he's stewarding the energy of his team. Can you imagine if Jesus gave a platform for all the drama that was going on around him? They would never have been effective. They would never have changed this world. We would not be talking about James and John in 2019. They they wouldn't even be a footnote in history had he platformed the drama. But he refused to. Here's how Jesus dealt with drama. Let's pick it up. He keeps reading on. Remember, James and John, they've said, we want the corner offices. There's a big drama that ensues, and it says Jesus sat them down to settle them down, and what comes after this is worth the price of admission today. I know you came in for free, but it's still worth the price of admission because it's absolutely brilliant how Jesus dealt with drama. This is going to help you. He said this. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around and when people get a little power, how it quickly goes to their heads. What he's doing right now, and this is one of the tools he uses, is he's taking the people that are now in drama, because when you're in the middle of drama, it's all you see. It's everything you see. When you're going to work, you're not thinking about what you've got to do, you're thinking about what you're going to face. And he, what he's doing is he's pulling it back to give you perspective. He's saying, listen, you know how it is in the world, you know what the culture's like. When people get a little bit of power, they let it go to their heads. This is how he continues. He says, it's not going to be that way with you, though. It's going on the offense here. It's walking right towards the mess. And then if it was me leading that meeting, I might have looked at James and John. I might have looked over when I read this. Oh, Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Oh, that doesn't sound like corner office talk, Jesus. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And then he finishes off this way. That is what the Son of Man has done. And this is beautiful, friends. Again, perspective building. He steps back even further and he says, listen, for example, me. And he throws himself up as an example. He said, I came to serve, not to be served. And then to give away his life Give away my life as an exchange for many who are held hostage. Jesus does something more beautiful than maybe you even realize when you read this on the surface. He's telling you exactly how he deals with drama. And he's showing you exactly, exactly how you can manage it in your own life. That's not the purpose of this text, but it illustrates the example. Here's what he's saying. The first tool that Jesus uses is he always maintains perspective. Drama always wants you to draw you into a different distorted perspective. Somebody else's mess. Remember I told you, they have a story in their head, and they want you to affirm that story. They want you to say that that story is true. There's a victim, there's a villain, there's a conspiracy theory. So why do they share it? Because they want you in on their drama, their production. And it's only content when it spreads, right? So there's a story in the head. But Jesus always maintains perspective. He's not looking at the story in your head. He's looking at the story in life. How is he able to maintain this perspective? Well, isn't it interesting in the text? Right away he said this. You've observed, right? You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little bit of power, how quickly it goes to their heads, it's not going to be that way with you. He's a non-reactive presence responding to the drama on the spot, and he never loses perspective. We lose it so easy. And here's why Jesus was able to maintain perspective. Now, you might say right away, listen, he was fully God. No wonder he could maintain perspective. But he was fully human, friends. He felt stress. He felt strain. He felt the challenges of life. He felt all of that. He wept. He, He felt pain in his heart for people. He understood our range of emotions. He understood all of that. But he maintained perspective because he was habitually going to be with his father away from people that were trying to control him. And with his father, he got perspective. With his father, he was able to recalibrate. You ever notice that in the Gospels? He's crowds all around him. Everybody wants something from him. And they can't find Jesus because Jesus is alone. What's he doing? He's praying. He's connecting with his Father. He's maintaining an eternal perspective. He would say things of himself in the Gospels that are fascinating. He'd say that he and the Father were one. Where did he get that perspective? He said that his days were in his Father's hands, that God knew his daily needs and would provide for him. Friends, the drama in your family wants you to believe that it is so powerful that it could destroy anything. And if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't cater to it, if you don't feed it, it'll dominate you. Not true. The drama at work, you start believing that your your life is actually in the hands of your employer. That somehow your life is dependent upon the people around you liking you, not liking you. Not true. Not true. See, you need to remember if you're a follower of Jesus, this applies to you if you're a follower of Jesus, he made some promises to you. He made some promises. He said this. He will give you everything you need. Matthew 6, verse 33. Everything you need. Uh, You know, it's anonymous. You're going to lose everything. No, no, I won't lose everything. I might lose some things. I might have some setbacks. But I know he's promised I'll have everything I need. He he promised this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You'll be left all alone. Everyone will desert you. Ah, not everyone. Not everyone. Some people may desert me, but not everyone. He said this. I love this promise. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. What a gift that is, eh? Peace of mind and heart. So, friends, when you're in the middle of drama and it's all you can see at work and it's conflict with someone or whatever's going on, pull back. Look for some perspective. Remember who God is. Remember who you are in Christ and then remember who holds your days in, your hand, in his hands. And remember, Prince. and when you do that, remember his kindness. Remember how kind God is. Here's the second tool it's not just perspective. Jesus goes on the offense. You know what's interesting when you read the Gospels? When there's drama, he always walks towards the mess. He doesn't ignore the conversations with the comments, he walks towards it. And it's interesting, he doesn't do what a lot of us do. When we encounter drama, sometimes if it's anger coming at us, we come back with anger. But do you notice how he handled James and Johns? He's not angry at them. He doesn't overreact to their overreaction of the other disciples. The other disciples overreact. They make a big deal, a big deal out of everything. He doesn't overreact to them. No, he calms it down, and he says this, and he he moves from feelings to facts, which is very interesting. Now, friends, feelings matter a lot. It's just very difficult guiding your life with feelings. Because you know as well as I do, your feelings lie to you often. Sometimes it makes you feel better than you really are. Sometimes you feel worse than you really are. This is where sometimes you need both facts and feelings together. Here's what he does. He says, he he comes with the facts. He says, the world operates this way, but remember, whoever wants to be great must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. He deals with the facts, not the vague, ominous rumblings. He walks towards all the drama. Jesus always does this. Everyone's upset. Jesus, who? (laughs) No, who are you talking about? Herod? Yeah, of course he's upset. Go tell that fox. He, He... incredibly non-reactive, you can't bait him into going somewhere he's not supposed to go or doesn't want to go. You know, one of the ways this happens in families and in workplaces is the mutant strain of the VOR is the what-ifs. The people in your life that are always saying, well, what if? You know what I mean? What if that happens? What What if this happens and then that happens? What if? You know, and it always preys on my worst anxieties or fears and on yours. Sometimes you need to step back and say, okay, what if it does happen? Because in life, what ifs will happen, right? What if it does? We'll deal with it. How are you going to deal with it? God will equip us at that time to deal with what we... It's not a case to be unwise in your decision-making. It's to take away that ominous feeling that keeps you from going to maybe where the place of faith would call you to be. God doesn't call us to safe spots in life, friends. God doesn't... He's not concerned about your comfort. He's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about his creation. He's concerned about the mission he's called us to engage in. So, people want people in their lives where drama doesn't control the narrative, faith controls the narrative. And that's a choice, and it's not easy to make. So, I want to encourage you. It's not just these first two tools, but these first two tools are going to help you with the unavoidable drama. When you're dealing with family issues, they're not going away. Get some perspective on it, so you don't have to react in the moment. I sometimes will tell myself, don't react. I I come from a large family. Large family equals drama. It's just, it's just normal. Shelley and I have had a way of navigating that for years because we, w- we refuse to take the bait. I'm not taking the bait. I am not going to overreact. I'm not going to engage in the drama. It doesn't mean that I don't get involved. No, I've walked right towards it when I've had to. We have not done it perfectly. We have learned some hard lessons along the way. But I don't want a life filled with drama because it's so expensive. Perspective helps you. Walking towards the mess and not ignoring it helps you. Here's the last one, and this is going to help you avoid avoidable drama. The type of drama, boyfriend-girlfriend drama, friendship drama, all that other type of drama that you're not attached to but you are attached to, it's wisdom. Wisdom is the key to living a drama-free life. It's wisdom. You know, here's something if you're younger you don't know yet but you need to know. Very important people doing important things are almost drama-free. I don't mean that they don't have drama around them. They're almost drama-free because they're too busy doing important things. And I'd say that to say, the more time we have in our hands, and the less productive we are, the more drama that will ensue. And I don't mean time off is valuable, you need it. It's none of those things. But if you're engaged in important things, you will find that drama has less margin in your life, less ability to step into your life. If you live a wise life, you'll you'll live an almost drama-free life. Uh, Jesus tells a story in the Gospels. He's saying to his followers and a group of people, he says, there's a wise man and there's a foolish man. He says, the wise man built his house on the rock, and the rock symbolizes the unchangeable truth in culture, in life, in God. And he said he built it on that, and when all the drama came, or he says the storms of life came, the house stood. The foolish man, he built his on the sand, and the sand represents the shifting and changing nature of our culture. Have you noticed in our culture, if you've lived over 15 years, you've noticed it. What was wrong then is right now. What is right now will be wrong in five years. And what was Wrong then, or what was right then is wrong now. What, is, what was right, wrong then is right now. Like it, the ch- culture keeps shifting. And this guy built his life on that. And it was a very unwise thing to do. Because when the drama came and the storms came, his house, his life collapsed. So what I want to do is I want to give you a question. And I'm going to give full credit in that I learned this from another pastor a number of years ago, and it has saved me so much pain, I can't tell you. It has saved me from so much drama in my life. It's a question that I ask every time I have an opportunity, a decision to make, every time I have a choice to make, I ask this question. I ask this question because in order to be wise, wise people realize this, and only wise people get this, all of life is connected. So the decisions you make today will shortly become your past. And your past will shape your future. Nobody arrives at a spot in life where there's drama all around them and their life is falling apart. And it's like, how did I get here? You can trace it back to some unwise decisions. Here's, here's the question you need to ask yourself. What's the wise thing to do? This is simple, but this is going to bug you. Because it's hard, very clarifying. What's the wise thing to do? When I was younger, I would want to ask this question. What's the right thing to do? I learned that in Sunday school. What's the right thing to do? The problem with that question is it's not good enough. Because if you're like me, and you probably are very different from me because clearly I'm the one suffering with this, not, not as much you. But, but if you're like me at all, you know, asking what is the right thing to do is not good enough because there's something in me that wants to get right up to the line of what's wrong without crossing over. So, I'm technically doing the right thing, but I'm so close to the line, and this is how the culture in this world works. It baits you to come right next to the line, and when you step over, it will mock you. It'll mock you every time. You know, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing, and then you make a mistake, and then it turns around and says, you're, you're an idiot. The culture does this with incredible consistency. Wisdom is what makes you take one step back from that edge. Because it's no longer, it might be the right thing, it might be the right thing even for you to do, but it's not the wise thing for me to do. It's like someone who gets out of a long-term relationship and then just recently out of that relationship and someone in their peer group says, hey, we're going out tonight, there's a bunch of new guys there, there are a bunch of new girls there, why don't you come on out? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But is that wise, just given the fact that you just got out of a long-term relationship? Probably not. It's it's when you begin to connect the dots and you remember your choices in the past and you start thinking, listen, the last time I called him, this happened, maybe I shouldn't call him. The, The last time I said yes to this group of people, and wisdom begins to kick in. It's not whether it's right or wrong. They're not bad people, I'm not saying they're bad people. Is it the wise thing for you to do? The last time I bought one, the last time I leased one, the last time I moved in with one, this happened. Is this the wise thing for me to do? It might be wise for you to do, but it might not be wise for me to do. I might have vulnerabilities that you don't have. I might succumb to Temptation or, or or peer groups to do in ways that you wouldn't. So it may be okay for you, but it's not okay for me. It's not a wise thing for me to do. So I want to close this up, uh, and here's how I want to land. In a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity to pray for anyone who's just going through drama. But I want to talk to those of us in this room and those online who might be self-aware enough to know that you produce the drama. And I want to be kind to you, because I've been where you are. And I've had my moments where I've been back there again. The moments where I found drama and I've been the product of it is because often because of past wounds. Things from my, it could be from your childhood, things that people have done to me, and it makes me more reactive. Makes me react in a way that produces some drama around me. And I knew at one point in my leadership, if I didn't reach out for some help, find a good Christian counselor to backfill some of that brokenness in my life, I wouldn't be the type of leader that I would wanna follow. I'd be reacting to everything. You know, you watch in the news even now, people in very important positions and they're so easily controlled. You just tweet something negative about them and you wait and see the response from them. It looks like a junior high playground. What are they doing? They're very controllable. You can control them. You can get a response and a reaction from them. No problem. That's brokenness, friends. One of the gifts you could give the people that you love in this life is you could take the year off from drama. You could become emotionally inexpensive. And for some of us, we want to do that, we don't know how to do it. So I want to invite you to consider being a part of our freedom sessions. Watch the video.
0: Do you carry the wounds of broken relationships? Does the guilt of secret addiction rob your peace? Is your past so painful that you'll try anything to numb it? Freedom Session is an intensive healing discipleship journey that uncovers the roots of pain in our lives and invites Jesus to heal those broken areas of our hearts. If you've been locked in a cycle of addiction, abuse, bondage, or emotional pain, this course is for you. Freedom Session unpacks a new way to escape the pain in our lives and walk in wholeness and freedom. A brave next step
1: would be for many of us or some of us to say, listen, I need some freedom from some of the things that keeps me from living a life that is drama producing.
0: Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.